plan, my lesson plan, is that you will finally connect the dots between the Old Testament and the New Testament and the church and your life today. We're going to try to really wrap it all up to where it makes sense to where you may go, aha. So the aha moment has been kingdom is the government of God, that God has to rule. I've tried to say all along that the way God will rule will be through the church. That's been his plan from the beginning of time, if you remember that scripture in Ephesians chapter 2. But the, the reality of that is, how does God do this practically? And tonight's going to be the practical side. I will say that perhaps what I share tonight may be different than what you've been taught before. So I'm not saying my way is right by any means at all. I'm saying this is what I've studied. I'll present it to you and I'll let you chew it and uh, ruminate on it to see where you land. But I always feel comfortable enough that if I teach it, I've at least ruminated on it long enough that I feel like it's scriptural and that it can be balanced with scripture. So I'm going to share the very practical sides of this teaching tonight on how does God govern us? How does he govern you and I to this day? Because it's very sketch at times, but this is what we've been talking about for three weeks. We've landed on that Christ is the head. Before the beginning of time, it was slated that he would come. It was not happenstance. Adam and Eve being created wasn't because God knew they would sin. It was because he was going to send God in the flesh. It was all planned from the beginning of time. And then this head has to govern. So the way the head is going to govern today, Jesus is not going to come back and walk the earth again uh, to, to die on a cross. I mean it that way. He's going to rule and reign through us until he comes back and sets his kingdom up. Then when he sets his kingdom up, uh, that's my revelation teaching, we rule and reign with him. So when you read things in the Bible that we shall rule and reign with him, it literally is talking about the government of God on planet earth that we get to rule and reign together. But here is the scripture that I think is interesting. How does God do that? He does it through the gifts. The way that God governs his church is just what we picked up last week. We're jumping right back into it. So I'm going to be very quick with the first thought. The way that God is going to govern may be different than we thought. God is going to govern the world and his body through gifts. And the gifts that he bestows upon us is going to be able to manage his body so that his body can do his work. Uh, a chaos body, what did Jesus say? A house divided against itself cannot work. So all I need to do is divide the body from the head and nothing works. And I, the challenge is going to be, how does God, the Godhead Jesus Christ, work with the body when at any given time the body can go AWOL and do whatever we want to do and act however we want to act and then a house divided, it never works. And perhaps that's why we have so many churches on the corner uh, acting as the body of Christ, but there's no power. Because you may be the body of Christ in name, but if you're not congruent with the head, meaning a house divided, doing what the head wants us to do, then, then that house cannot stand. We just become a group of religious people that feel good about ourselves, but nothing ever changes. I want to go to a scripture tonight that will challenge us to, to what I'm going to take us to. This is in Galatians chapter 5. Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again into the yoke of slavery. Now here's the challenge. 
The challenge was, how do you free people and keep them free without it becoming a free-for-all? Because when we say free, we don't mean free-for-all. And a lot of times when we think free, we think, ooh, I'm free. I can, just, I can just say the name God. Jesus told me. The Holy Ghost told me. Ooh, I'm free. Well, being woo free doesn't mean it's a free-for-all. The freedom that comes, it comes with uh, stipulations, which doesn't sound like it would be free, does it? If, if it's a freedom, then it doesn't seem like, it, it seems like I could be a free-for-all. And this is where it gets dangerous because you have people who are spirit-led by the Holy Spirit and Christians, sometimes in their freedom, they act like it's a free-for-all. That I can just say anything I want and say, the Lord told me, thus saith the Lord, God said. And then we're like, well, how do we know? How do we understand if this is God or not? Or is this just you? If you tell me you're praying for me and Jesus said something, then how do I really know it was Jesus? And so we're going to try to work some of that out tonight. Here's the rest of the scripture, though. For you have been called to live in freedom, Galatians 5, 13. My brothers and sisters, but here it comes. This is why I say it's not a free-for-all. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another. So what I'm starting to understand is I'm free, but I need to be very mature because in my freedom, I could just use my freedom for my own sinful behavior. Rather than using the freedom that I've been given has been to serve you. So there's very much an aspect of Christianity that that is much more less narcissistic and individualistic and much more about serving one another. And in the serving one another comes the power. He goes on to say this, for the whole law can be summed up in one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But, interesting, if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out, you can destroy each other. So look at the dichotomy here. I'm going to go back to the verse. Look at the dichotomy. You have freedom, but the freedom is not to satisfy your sinful nature. The freedom is to serve each other. But then on the other side of the freedom is this part of the scripture But you can also devour each other. And you can also destroy each other. So you you have to be a pretty profound God that will say, I want to lead through humans who can kill each other. I want to lead through humans who can destroy each other. I want to lead through humans who in their freedom can destroy themselves. So that's that's risky. But I go back to what I said before. Why would a God give an authority to humans who can destroy themselves, who can destroy each other, and who can devour one another? You would think that God would rather be a tyrant and say, I'm sharing nothing with you people. Y'all destroy everything you touch. But yet he doesn't do that. He himself, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, so go. And then he says, I baptize you with power, go. And then when they're baptized with power up in the upper room and they don't want to leave Jerusalem, persecution, go. So there's something really interesting that God is okay with the potential that we can kill each other, destroy each other, devour each other, and even kill ourselves. That's, I'll take it, that's four strikes out of five. And yet he still says, no, I'm good with this. 
That ought to make us go, what, is, what does God know that I don't know? How is he so confident in this plan? And that's what I want to land you on. This plan is God's confident in himself. And he only calls us to trust his wisdom and not our own. And it's when we trust our own wisdom that we begin to devour each other, destroy each other, and kill our own selves off. So what I'm going to share tonight, it's, here's a challenge. We've already put our wisdom in it and destroyed what it was supposed to be. Because we just added our wisdom on top of God and created this thing we call church. My opinion, again, it's an opinion. I think we're so far off base, it makes my head swim. When I read what the Bible says we should be, and then when I look around and look at what we are, I'm like, somebody went, somebody took a left turn. Because I feel like we're in a whole other city than where God is. But he still works with us and still desires to work with us. So here's my thinking. We left this off last week. How do the gifts distributed by God to the body and for the body work in a practical way? Here they are. This is what we left off last week. This is what we pick up this week. The gifts are given to the church to manifest in the following ways. We're going to try to get through all of these tonight. So we've got, we've got about 40 minutes to pull this off. I think we can do it. Uh, number one, gifts that equip. So the way God is going to go through the gifts, there's going to be gifts that equip you. In other words, that'll grow you up and mature you. You know, he doesn't want you to stay a baby. Why, what happens when you stay a baby? Anybody want to guess? You begin to serve yourself. All babies serve themselves, right? Mine, 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 mine. Just have one and watch. Uh, if you don't have one, you can borrow one of mine. <laughs> Mine, 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 mine. So remember what Paul said. Paul said, if you're not careful, your freedom, you'll use it to satisfy yourself. So God gives you gifts that grow you up. It's okay to be a baby, but not forever. It's okay to want mine, but not forever. It's okay to have a blizzard every now and then, but you need your vegetables. So God had to design a way whereby there could be gifts to grow me up. Number two, gifts that edify. Why would I need gifts that edify? Because y'all will kill each other. You'll kill each other. So he, you see how smart God is. God realizes in your freedom, you'll get really selfish and narcissistic. So I need to give you some gifts to take care of that. In your freedom, you can bite and devour and destroy each other. So I need you to give for that. And those are the gifts that edify. They encourage the body. Not kill the body, encourage the body. And if you've been in Christianity long enough, you already know our testimony is we're incredibly gifted at killing our own. That's what the testimony is of the church. We kill our own. We, 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 we judge you and we push you out and we're not good at edifying. And then the third is the gifts that are administrated. And that's because in everywhere you go in the Bible, everywhere, from Adam all the way to Christ, all the way to today, God has always left a human in charge. Okay. Y'all got real quiet on that one. <laughs> he has always left a human in charge. Day of Pentecost. Let's go there because that's spirit filled. 
The, the, the gift of, of tongues pours out on them. Languages are coming out. The world is saying they're drunk. Look at these people. And everybody's speaking in tongues, except what we would assume would be if Peter did speak in tongues, he at least could quit long enough to go, let me explain what's going on. And he began to say, this is that which was prophesied by Joel. Why? Because in the middle of God moving, he always has to keep order. Because if you don't have somebody to keep order, you get really weird doctrine. They're just drunk. Did you should have seen them? They just acted like drunk people. And then they write a book on it and then it becomes scripture. And then, but the reality of this is it has to be under order. If it's not under order, it's all out. So let's pull it out and let's look at it. Now, these are the gifts. These are going to be the first gifts, the gifts that grow us up, the gifts that mature us, the gifts that edify us and equip us. Here's the equipping gifts. Now, these are the what? Gifts. So here, this may be different than you've ever been taught. And again, it's an opinion, but I feel like it's a good one. We typically view this not as gifts, but as positions that are paid in the local church. And these people get the parking lots and the special rooms and the green rooms and, the, and their positions. I would just challenge you in your thinking that they're introduced not as positions, but as gifts. So if they're introduced as a gift, I have to rethink everything of what I've been brain... I was going to say brainwash. I don't think that's intentional. Everything that my mind has been told that here they are, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastors, and the teachers. So here's how we mix it up now. Now we have denominations that go, well, the apostles are passed away and prophets are no more. We don't need them. We have the Bible. But three are still needed as if now we're smarter than God. God gave five. We trumped two. We saw his two, gave him back three. And it becomes a religious poker so that I'm good with evangelists. I bring them in every year to do a crusade. I'm good with a pastor because I can keep him, you know, kind of poor and going into the hospitals. And then the teachers are typically running Sunday schools. And then I don't want even want to deal with apostles and prophets because the moment you say apostle, because they're first, they're the first in the list. They must be the most important. They're the most powerful. And instead of becoming gifts, they become titles. And they become titles that we possess. And if you've never been in the church long enough, you will meet them. I'm Apostle so-and-so. I'm Apostle Mark. I'm Apostle Chuck. I'm Apostle Gene. I'm Apostle June. I'm Prophetess so-and-so. I'm Prophet so-and-so. I'm Prophetess so-and-so. And the people that believe these have passed away just look at you like you're an idiot. Like, why do you call yourself all these titles? But we never really questioned me calling myself Pastor Mark. You even call me Pastor Mark. But if I walked in and said, oh, da, 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 don't call me Pastor Mark, call me Apostle Mark. You'd be like, he's going off the rocker. We need to go to another church. We'll be drinking Kool-Aid before long. You need to call me Prophet Mark. Oh, what do you think? You're better than everybody else? What, you see the future? So it, they can be very scary when they're looked at as titles of position that they have more power over, over the others. And they ha you, I'm not saying that they don't hold positions in places. I'll teach that in a minute. But I, I need you to start out that they're what? Yes. They're gifts. Amen. 
So that tells me you don't earn these. And here's what's weird about them. Super weird. There are no speculations given to what these should look like. There's no requirements. There's not a list of requirements for apostles to become one. There's not a list to be a prophet, except if, you, if you're a prophet for real, you're to be stoned if it doesn't come true. So that would eliminate a lot of prophets. Are you a prophet? Nope, not at all. No. <laughs> I, can, I don't mind being a pastor and having a bad sermon, but I don't need a bad prophecy. I don't want to, I don't want to be killed. And if you did that to pastors, we'd either quit pastoring or we'd show up with some really good sermons. Their responsibility. So what we know is the gifts have responsibilities. They've been given something to do. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. Now here they are. Let's look at them if we can. The gifts that are equipped, number one is the apostle. In the list that lists them out, specifically again in Corinthians 12, I believe it is, it lists first of all apostles. So a lot of times people assume that the apostle is the most powerful person in the list. And then we go to the 12 apostles of Jesus. And we say, well, those are the original. So when we're talking apostle, we're not talking the original 12. Of course, they were apostles, but we're talking a gift. We're not talking the 12 dudes that walked around with Jesus. We're talking the gift. Now, here's the gift of an apostle. A gift of an apostle means you're a delegate and you're a messenger with orders. You're on assignment. You're not just randomly going wherever you want because I'm going to go to Tennessee because that is the fastest growing city is in Knoxville. And I'm going to go there because I did all my research on Google. And that is the fastest growing city ever. And I'm going to go there and I'm going to plant me a church. That's not an apostle. An apostle is, oh, I don't want to go there. I do not want to go there. But I have to go. Why? I have a mandate to go. I, I, have been, I have been told by God to go. It's a mandate. It's not, a, it's not going where there's the better, the city that's growing the fastest. It's that God gives you with a mandate to go to a specific place to bring the gospel. So anybody that has a specific order could be labeled as an apostle because all it is is a delegate. That would be any Christian. We're all delegates of the kingdom. But the thing that separates a believer from an apostle is I'm on assignment. I can't leave. I have to stay here. God has told me to come. God has sent me on this journey. If you want to go, when Acts 13, when they sent out Paul and Barnabas, they laid hands and it says, and we were sent out. They had orders to go and to do the work of the kingdom. I'm not saying I'm an apostle in the sense of the 12, but everywhere I've gone in my life, everywhere, I did not go because I was offered a job. I did not go for money. I did not go for fame. I went because either I had a dream in Sylvania that I was to go to Sylvania. So I went on a dream believing I was divinely sent. And God did, I can, it would literally take me an hour to tell you how much, how many miracles came out of the order of me and Robin to go to this small town in South Georgia. It would blow your mind. I'll maybe tell you, I'll tell it to you one time, but it would be way too involved tonight. 
But we went on an order. There were, it was a small town. It was about 3,000 people total. How about that? That's not even third of the side of Douglasville. 3,000 people. You can't start a church in 3,000 town of 3,000. You got to go to the, you got to go to the metropolises. You want to be a mega church. Well, yeah, it'd be nice to be a mega church, but I'm on an order. Now being on an order, I can't leave when I cry. I can't leave when it goes bad. I can't leave when I want to. I can't leave when I've had a bad week. I'm on an assignment. When we came here to Douglasville, we were praying about our future and Robin and I felt like we're gonna move to Carrollton. So we got a website, we got the name of our church. The name of our church was going to be called Freedom Church. And we were securing a website and we already had 40 acres, 36 acres of land and a building over there that my dad and mom had purchased. We had a building ready to go. I had my dream ready to go. I'm gonna live in a college town with college kids and I'm gonna disciple college kids and I'm gonna to touch a generation and I cannot wait. I was so excited. And then with all this plan and all this dream and the, I still have the Facebook page, Freedom Church. I was ready to roll. I get a, yeah. Yeah, you're not going to Carrollton. Oh yes, I am. No, you're not. You're going to Douglasville. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. You're going to Douglasville and you're going to reap the seeds that your father and your mother have sowed. And Robin and I did not come here to be famous. We did not come here to build a mega church. We came on divine orders that we were sent to reap the harvest of my parents who planted seeds for 25 years. So I sit around all the time going, okay, God, I'm here. I'm waiting on the seeds. And they start coming in, new faces every week, people coming in. And we don't advertise. We don't, because I'm not up here advertising. All the seeds come home. I'm like, no, I'm on a divine order. God, you'll take care of the seeds. So there's something supernatural about a divine order. Because a divine order is you're on God's specific mission, not a generic mission. I've been called, and you may find that a lot of times, we would call them missionaries. I just woke up, and I had this burden. I just had a burden to go down to Panama and do this work. And we call them missionaries, although I really don't see that term in the New Testament, but I do see an apostle who wakes up with a burning order to go to another country. Own orders, like, my God, why would you go there? Oh, we have to go. Oh, we just cannot stay away. I'm like, well, there must be something special because I think y'all are idiots to go there. <laughs> because most people on divine order, when you tell them your orders, they look at you like you're crazy. Why would you want to go there? Why would you want to do that? Why would you? Because I'm on a divine order. That's the apostolic gift. It comes to take a message to equip people. Here's my thinking to that. Since I've been up here for 10, 11 years, do you feel like by sitting under the ministry that God and the order God gave me, do you feel like you've grown up some? Okay, well, that's what I mean by God sends somebody with an order to grow you up. So if you're sent here, guess what? In some weird way, God and you and me were supposed to link up because there are things that God wanted both of us to do and we needed each other. So that's how that works. Number two, the prophet. This is a scary one. You find a lot of titles around depending on what denomination you're in on whether somebody's a prophet. Again, it's not a title that gives you special permission to special events. 
It just means you're a spokesman of divine inspiration. Meaning what you say, there's no way you could have really known it, but you're divinely inspired to say this. You might even say, I don't really know where that came from, but I felt that. And they're like, how did you know? Oh my God, I can't believe it. How did, have you been listening? Have you been, have you been following me? Have you been in my bedroom? Have you been listening to conversations I've had around? And I'm like, no, and no, and no, and no. But I do believe that when I spoke, I spoke out of divine inspiration because I had a gift to do that. So many times a prophet can step in and can just simply begin to speak. But when they speak, it's as if they're nailing it to the back of the wall. And you have no idea how they could be. It's exactly what I needed. I, I, just, I tell you, I was just so... Well, it's not that the prophet is special. It's that he's just speaking by divine inspiration. He knows things that have been downloaded to him by God. Number three, this is an easier one, the evangelist. He typically comes in and does a revival service and everybody gets saved. That means nothing more than he's a herald of the gospel. He just comes in and preaches the gospel it's the good news. It's Sam walking down Fulton Industrial. It's going down Atlanta and just seeing somebody getting out of his car and going, let me take it. Jesus loves you. <laughs> I would say if I was just, you know, on a guessing that, that he has the gift of an evangelist. Like he will stop his car at a red light, get out and talk to a random stranger just to tell them the gospel. Just to, just to get the God. It doesn't matter if they get saved or not. I just have to tell them. Amen. They just got to know. Well, and they even say, I don't want to know. He goes, yes, you do. You just have to know. <laughs> well, that's the, and I could drive right by them and just go bless their heart. Because I'm not called to Fulton Industrial. I'm called to Beaumont Road. And if you talk Beaumont Road 2981, you're on my ground now. And I get really like, right? So if we're not careful, we want to appreciate each other. I highlighted the words in green for you because I'm going to talk about each of them in a minute. A pastor is a herdsman of an assembly. In the Bible, it works out that he cares for you. And the fifth one is a teacher. It doesn't need much explaining, but it's an instructor of things God and man. Now, here's what's weird. Stay with me. I don't want to lose you. Because we've made them titles, we typically try to find which one we are and then live it out. And I'm here to tell you they're giftings, and God may gift you one month to be a delegate, one month to be a spokesman, one week to be a herald, one month to be a herdsman. He's good with it. We got to stop thinking I'm just one and no more. They're gifts. And I can simply say I would love to title myself. I did. I, and it's such a title thing that you can take gift tests that it'll tell you which one you are. And I did. And this is going to blow your mind. Every single gift test I've ever taken, I'm 92 to 94% apostle. I am about 91 to 88% prophet. I'm about 68% pastor, meaning I'd rather tell on you than care for you. (laughs) 
I don't know about teacher. I was probably about in the 40 range. I'd love to take it again because I feel like I've changed a little bit over the last 10 years. I, I try to be more teacher now. But evangelist, this is where it's funny, 2%. 2% out of 100? I used to joke. I was like, hey, uh, I don't really care if you're going to hell, but I sure want you to grow up. Right? Like, I was like, if you go to hell, I'm sorry. Some evangelists didn't get you. But if they get you in the kingdom, I will grow you up. Right? <laughs> but I would love to tell you this. Stop thinking titles and start thinking gifted. Because I guarantee you everybody in the room at some point has had some manifestation of this kind of gift. Let me explain it to you. Let's do trunk or treat. Everybody know trunk or treat? Good. You're religious enough to know trunk or treat. That's a religious term for Halloween. Can't say Halloween is of the devil. So we just flip it to trunk or treat and we get away with it. God doesn't care. But in trunk or treat, you will see the gifts manifest in people's personalities. The apostles, the gifting of the apostles are the people that come up and go, I got a great idea. I know what we're going to do. What are we going to do? Trunk or treat, man. We're going to do trunk or treat. We're going to have 32 cars out there. going to be cars everywhere. And every car is going to be, ah, and they just like, ah, and everybody's like, Woo! trunk or treat. Oh, it's going to be the best ever. They're the, they're the idea people. They're going to take new ground. We're going to do something we've never done before. It's a marching order. We've got an order. We call it vision, but it's an order. We've got an order. It's going to be on Halloween. We're going to go from seven to nine o'clock. And then the prophets, you know who they are? They're the people that are standing there going, you're not getting in without a ticket. Got to have a ticket. You can't dress up like a witch here. You got to go home and change. Can't have witches. I'm sorry. That's what they told me. They cannot have a witch here. Cannot have a witch. No, no, you can't have free water. I know you're dying of thirst, but that water's a dollar. Got to have a dollar. I'm sorry. Prophets don't care about your feelings. Prophets want you to obey the rules. I'm sorry, only two people at a time, but he's one year old. I don't care. Two people at a time. And you, you be around a prophet, you won't like them long. You're like, they're the most rude most insensitive, don't even care about anybody. They ran five people off. Nope. They told me you can't park on the grass. There's nowhere to park. You cannot park on the grass. The pastor will take your car himself and park it on the grass because he wants you happy. So now we got the ticket takers. We got the visionaries. They're the people that are dreaming. We got the people that are standing there count, counting how many are coming, tickets. Then we've got the evangelists. The evangelists don't care about the games. They don't care about the candy. They're the people that set the tent up and go, well, if people aren't getting born again, there's no reason to do this. So you always have to give them a tent. It's called the prayer tent. It's to make the evangelist happy because we're just wasting time and money out here for Satan when we can be getting people born again. So it's like, okay, evangelist, y'all put a tent over there and get them saved. And then they'll have tracks they're passing out because evangelists, they don't care about anything but souls. We had 3,000 people. Well, how many people came to Jesus? Oh man, can't you ever be happy for something else? The pastors, the pastors are the people that just walk around and hand out cotton candy, candy in their pockets, 
hug everybody. We're so glad you're here. Let me get you some water. Do you need anything? Are you happy? Let me take you to the tent. They just care about everybody. They're over there handing out hot dogs and Cokes and they don't care. They just are happy. No rules at all. If you walk up and don't have a ticket, they're like, don't tell anybody. And they'll give you a free hot dog. You don't let the prophet see that. (laughs) And the teachers are the gifts that always run the games. They set their game up. They've got a nice little poster that they've made, the steps of how to throw it, how many pieces of candy you get if you reach this. So what I would like to tell you is even when we do a trunk or treat, these gifts manifest by what's important to you. Does that make sense? So we, if, we think, if we think titles, we mess it all up. If we think giftings, then we've got delegates and spokesmen and heralds and herdsmen and instructors. And then if I just take the green words, which are the literal translation of the Greek word, a delegate, a spokesman, a herald, a herdsman, an instructor, I'm like, everybody in here has probably got something of that. Something. The delegate that just goes out to the middle of uh, every time there's an outside event, they'll show up and just set up a table. I'm just here. Del- I'm just here repping the church, man. It's repping God. Sent by God. Well, those are the gifts that equip you. And if they're all working and here's the thing, you have to have all five to be equipped. He said, I gave these gifts, apostles, prophets for the equipping of the church. So if you take out two of them, we'll never be equipped. It's been a lie. We've been lying. Oh, that's harsh. We, we've been tricked into thinking that two of them passed away with John on the Isle of Patmos. And so therefore we think, well, God, Jesus gave five, but we think we're smart enough to get away with three. And we wonder what's so wrong with the church today. Because these gifts have been turned into titles and green rooms and parking spots and conference speakers and, and you poor people are just poor people. You're just lay people. You, you need to carry my bag and carry my, my Bible. And I'm not saying these can't stand in offices. I'm just saying they're gifts. I'll show you that later. But here's one of the concerns. One main concern is that modern religion has turned the gifts of equipping into offices of ego. If you've been around long enough to know, and I won't belabor the point, oftentimes the reason we're so skeptical of the gifts is they're not really gifts, they're offices of ego. The apostle's more important than the prophet, but the apostle and prophet are more important than the pastor, and whatever the prophet says has to happen because the prophet spoke and we've got to obey the prophet. And if we're not careful, we get out of order. If we're not careful, we, we become offices of ego. And I've been around long enough to know it's just true. It's just true. The way we've taught it is let an apostle, and I've, been, I've even had people introduce themselves to me that way. I'll say, what's your name? And they don't tell me Barry. They're like, it's apostle. And, and as soon as they say it, as soon as they say it, my first response is, oh my gosh. One of you. That's literally what I think. One of you. Dear Lord. I'm mature enough now to go, well, praise God, apostle. Uh, Glad to meet you. But it tells me a lot of times that it's not the gift of an apostle. It's a title of an apostle. And it's probably not equipping anybody. It's just more ego. 
And so we have to be careful because, again, like I said, God chooses the gifts, but because we're human, they're dangers and some of the dangers. And so this is going to lead me to my next. How do I keep these, these gifts from becoming offices of ego? I'll teach you that before we close. It's very important. This is what Paul said that's interesting, just to show you. He said, I made a fool of myself, but you did it to me. I should have been commended for I am... Um, for I've been commended to you, for I'm not in the least inferior to these super apostles. In other words, there were people that could literally title themselves super apostles. And he's like, dude, come on. Like, like I'm, not an, I'm not just an apostle, I'm a super apostle. I'm not just a pastor, I'm a prelate. I'm gonna, and so once it becomes a title, we can start having levels. And he just kind of rebukes him and says, no, but watch this. He said, I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle. So he does let us know that there will be humans who can fake it, who can claim it, but may never be it. And I don't have time to get into the marks of a true apostle, but if you look at him, he kind of gives you some. Well, this includes signs. And this includes wonders, and this includes miracles. Why would God give the apostle signs, wonders, and miracles? Because he's on an assignment, an order. And so God, how many of you know if God sends you, he backs you up? Everywhere God ever sent somebody, Jonah, Noah, anywhere he sent them, he always backed them up. He never left them alone. Hey, I'm going to send you 70 out. They came back, the devil's listened to us. He's like, well, yeah, I've been backing you the whole time. Uh, You just need to be glad your name is written in the book of life. All right, let's look at the gifts that edify. Why? We need the gifts that edify because we'll bite and devour each other, kill each other, and destroy each other. And if you've been in church long enough to know, you may bear a scar of such. (laughs) Someone who's hurt you disappointed you, let you down, gossiped about you, or hurt you. Don't take that personal. The problem is we take it personal. Well, they're against me and they hurt me. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, and yeah. But don't ever take it personal. Because if you start taking it personal, it's going to destroy what God wants to do in you. You need to know now, it may have come against you, had your name on it. They may have done it intentionally to you, but just know it wasn't to do you. It was to destroy any potential of you using a gift to be edified. I wanted to destroy you so you couldn't be used. And I'll tell you this, this is my opinion, but I like it. Some of the most gracious people if they can grow up are the people that have been hurt because they bear the scars of the pain and they do really well to restore other people. You just have to get over it. You have to get over the hurt. You have to get over the failure that's been done to you. But once you do, once you mature and go, you know what? That did hurt. And I bear a hard scar from that. But let me tell you something. It's not going to shut me up. I'm going to find everybody I know that's been hurt. And, and then that person just begins to ooze edification. And that's one thing the Lord spoke to me when I had you know, an issue in my life. It was very damning and hurtful. And the Lord spoke to me after I had healed up. He said, I'm going to take the very pain that you went through and the, and the hurt and the disappointment, and I'm going to use it to restore other people. You're going to be a voice of hope to people. So if you can get past the hurt, you can become a voice of hope. Well, here are these gifts that'll edify. First is wisdom. 
Wisdom means full intelligence in all kind of matters. So what it tells me in this gift is it's hard to devour and hurt somebody when you're operating in a gift of full intelligence because usually the reason we hurt each other is we have half-truths only and we're operating in the flesh. But full intelligence of diverse matters is a gift of wisdom. And this is not just I went to Google and got full intelligence. Remember, this is a gift of the Spirit, so it will have to do with the mind of God. So when he says full intelligence of diverse matters, that is you going, God, I just don't know. I've got this decision and I just need to know what to do. And I just need you to give me wisdom. And God said, oh, that's what you want, a gift of wisdom. And God gifts me. And then in that moment, I get this intelligent about a matter that I can operate on in divine wisdom. And I can, uh, what, uh, help myself navigate troublesome times by, God, would you give me, I'll give you a practical way. I was raising with Robin four daughters. And I'm going to share this in church in a few weeks when we talk about kids, so I won't go into it tonight. But I had been told by well-meaning people, you have no idea the, the, the hurt and pain it is to raise girls. And then they would, ha, 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 oh man, just wait till they're teenagers, ha, 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 you're going to have to beat boys off, ha, ha, ha. And my kids are like three. I'm like, gosh, it's so depressing. And I just was in fear. I was in fear to raise girls. What if they get pregnant? Oh, boys are going to be everywhere. What are you going to do when boys come over? And, and you have no idea. Oh, just wait till they start their period. Oh, just wait. They're so emotional. And, I'm, and I've got these little babies going, oh gosh, how do I do this? How do I become a father? And so I just went to God and I said, God, I need you to just give me wisdom. Why would I pray that? Because wisdom is a gift of God. Wisdom is something God will give you when you don't know what to do. Because he's so far out in front of you, he already knows. And I I just said, God, please show me. And in an instant, God downloaded. And it had to be God. It was nothing of my own thinking. It was beyond my own logic. It was nothing I could have ever reasoned. And in an instant, it was just downloaded into me. And I was like, that's it. Now that is a gift of wisdom. And I applied that and it worked. I'll teach you that of how we raised our girls and it came out of a gift of wisdom. So God, uh, and show you how strange it is, all right? Full intelligence of diverse matters. And and again, it's really simple. I think we overcomplicate it. We we say gift of wisdom, we got this guy with a big stick like a wizard with a long beard and a pointy hat. A gift of wisdom is your logic is at its end and you need some divine assistance in a certain matter. And so I was years ago doing motorcycles and I ordered a part and I go get everything out. There's the instructions and I'm trying to put it on. It wouldn't go. I flipped it. It wouldn't go. I turned it. It wouldn't go. I read the part. I got mad. I was like, whoever wrote the part didn't do the part. And then I was mad at the people that wrote the part, mad at the people that sent me the part, thinking I'm just going to send the part back. South Georgia, pouring sweat, summer. I was out there nearly two hours trying to put a motorcycle part on a motorcycle with instructions. That tells you how gifted I am. And in my frustration, 
I literally was so frustrated, just sweat pouring, glasses couldn't see because they had sweat all over them. And I just sat and I just was so frustrated. And I heard a voice as clear as I'm talking to you. You hadn't even asked me to help you yet. As clear as I'm talking to you. And in an arrogant, pouty little voice. And and I'm still alive, so that shows you the grace he has. Because I said, literally said back to the voice, then fine, show me. Right? And I heard in my mind, I heard the answer. And it was like a ding. And I was like, oh. And I leaned down. The honest truth how this went. I leaned down. And I just put it on and it went on without a problem. And I had been doing the same thing nearly two hours. But what did he do? He gave me intelligence in a matter that was very diverse. Does he even care about motorcycles? I don't know. But he never minds me asking for wisdom. Yes, he's like, yes, he does. Knowledge. Knowledge simply means an enlarged and full understanding. It means that you have insight beyond just knowing. It's an insight beyond just uh, educational training. It's it's an enlarged knowledge. I'll I'll give you just one thing I think happened in my life is that I had a real special Bible that I preached out of all the time. And I loved it and I lost it and I'd lost it for about two weeks and I just kept thinking it'll show up somewhere, but it never would show up. And I'd kind of go, okay, where was it? And I never could think of it. And so I was one night day, I was in my prayer time. I was walking through the sanctuary praying. And this is exactly what I said in my prayer. I said, God, I love my Bible. Like, you know where it's at right now. You're in the eternal realm. And I know in your knowledge, you see that Bible right now. I I want my Bible back. Would you just tell me where my Bible's at? And instantly, I saw a picture in my mind as if somebody took a Polaroid and just went and stuck it in my brain. I saw a picture of that Bible and I went, oh, and I walked right over to it. And right with the picture was right where my Bible was. Oh, come on. I don't know. You call it spooky. You can call it weird. You can call it the matrix. You can call it aliens. I call it God. That God in his understanding knew more than my understanding. And he downloaded that understanding to me. Uh, So my belief is how simple this is. My belief is even in things like your business and your work, God download to me the knowledge that's beyond my own knowledge that I can know how to do the things I don't know how to do, but I know you know how to do them. And God can do that for you. The third gift. Now, remember, I'm giving you all of the the introverted, introspective gifts, but remember they're all given to build other people up. So imagine what happens when you offer wisdom to a friend that really needs it. When you offer knowledge to a person that feels really lost and they go, how did you know that? And when you come to the third one, faith, it's a conviction of trust and holy fervor. It's not faith just I read my Bible and I'm believing a verse. It's so deeply a gift. It's not faith that came by hearing. It's faith that was downloaded as a gift. You cannot doubt. It is impossible to doubt. You try to doubt and cannot doubt. Everybody looks at you and says, how could you not be doubting? And you're like, I don't know, but I don't doubt at all. 
You would have to be doubting. Look, and you're like, yeah, I see what you see, but I can't doubt. You would have to doubt. That is a gift of faith. When my brother was hit by a drunk driver and he uh, coded on the operating table in the recovery room and they said that he was going to be a vegetable in his brain, they called my father and mother. And my mother immediately went to the prayer closet and began to pray and pray in tongues. And she came out and she said to my dad, she said, Gene, I was in the hotel room with him. She said, what has the Lord shown you? Now they're telling us that my brother is probably going to die or be a vegetable. We're in Orlando. My brother is in Fort Payne. And this is exactly what my dad said, sitting on a couch. June, he's going to be all right. How could you know, June? I just know. Gary is going to be all right. Well, that's a gift of faith. I often say this about my earthly dad. That in some strange way, I often say, I wish I had that. Like I get a little jealous of his fate. But then I remember, wait a minute, it's a gift. So now I've started asking, God, give me a conviction of trust. Like I literally pray that now. I'm like, I'm not going to be marked with the gift of panic. You ever met the panic people? They have a gift of panic. Everything they're panicking. Well, if you have a gift of panic, what if my kid dies? What if it's a tumor? What if it's cancer? What if we go broke? What if we lose the house? Then what you should do is take that gift of panic, toss it over your shoulder and go, God, I want a gift of faith. Come on. We'll see later. You can ask for them. So these right here, you will find that uh, Corinthians 13 and the end of chapter 12, you can desire them. You can ask for them when they're needed. You can say, I need this gift. We'll talk about that more later in the weeks ahead. The fourth one is a gift of healing. And that can either come through a divine remedy or medicine. You see it in the Bible where they put a poultice on somebody that was hurting. Jesus spit on somebody's eyes. Jesus told somebody to dip in water. Jesus also just touched people and they were healed. But it was a gift of healing. And, and sometimes you can come and just say, God, man, you promise a gift of healing. So anoint these hands as I pray over my child. Let a gift of healing come upon me, God. You promise it. Now, in that, God may give you a healing or he may give you a remedy. I will say this about spirit-filled people. We like the healing better than the remedy. The healing means I don't have to do a thing. The remedy means I need to cut out bacon. I mean, I don't. But when it's a gift of healing, sometimes it comes as a supernatural, instantaneous, oh, my back's healed. And other times it comes with, I feel like the Lord said, you might need to dip seven times in a river. And it requires me to go do something. But it's still, here's the weird thing, the gift of healing when Jesus told the guy to go dip, the question becomes, was he healed at the moment Jesus said go dip? Or was he healed as a remedy after he dipped? That's what's strange because a lot of times we we think healing is always instantaneous. And if it's not, I must have not gotten healed. And I say, don't ever throw the baby out with the bathwater because Jesus touched that dude and said, go tell him to dip. And no healing happened until he went for the remedy. So I always pray, hey, I need a healing. Would you pray for me? And as they pray, I'm going, okay, now, God, if it doesn't manifest right now, show me what my remedy is. Show me what I need to do. I'll do anything you know. And so we need to think that through. Let's look at a few more. Miracles. I've been involved in a few, but not many. 
Miracles are power and ability by the virtue of your nature. And they manifest in ways that are totally contrary to the way the universe would work. But again, miracles are not given because you're so spiritual. They're a gift. And I think one of the reasons many people don't really see power and ability is because they don't know who they are in Christ. Because it's the power and ability based on your nature. Jesus said to all the apostles, go, I've empowered you, you have all authority. And then in the book of Acts, he said, look, go into all the world, preach the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. And they did. And everywhere they would go, strange things would happen. Handkerchiefs would heal people. Shadows would heal people. Demons would come out of people. Why? Because as they went, God would empower them. And if you remember what Peter said, he said, look, hey, he said, I don't have any money, but I know what I got. Now, what he did in that moment is the boy got a miracle in Acts 3 because Peter knew his nature. He said, I don't have any money, but what I do have, I offer that to you. And and the guy got a miracle. Now, how did his miracle come? Because Peter knew his nature. He knew what was resonant within him. And I would say maybe the reason we don't see a lot of miracles today is not because God's not a miracle working God. It's because most people in their nature are very self-centered and don't know who they are in Christ. They don't know the power that they've been given. Number six, prophecy. It's divine declarations and revealings. I have probably operated in this one more than any of them. Uh, years ago in 1990, let's see, 1991, I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I was in a meeting, and they put a chair up front, and they, four, three men began to pray over me. And when they prayed over me, this is what they said, God is going to give you unique ways to prophesy. You're going to see pictures and visions. And I was in my 20s. I was just like, ah, okay, great. I got a clue. But I will tell you, I have never seen any more truth than what those three men spoke over me that day, that in that day, I realized that the thing I could bring to the body of Christ was this. And it took me a long time to work it out. They told me that God's going to show you pictures and he's going to show you things that you're going to see. And and I'll never forget the first time I ever prayed over someone, I I walked up to them and I put my hand on them, which is usually what I do now after 30 years. I, I will place my hand on a head. And when I place my hand on their head, it's as if I, please don't take this wrong. I don't want you to think I'm some magic guru dude. But when I place my hand on someone's head, typically that gift manifests and I start seeing movies. I see pictures I see, I see things like, and so I'll never forget, I, it was about two months after the prayer and I touched a guy on the head and I said, I was just going to pray for him because they asked me to lead the prayer. I touched him. As soon as I touched him, I saw him shooting pool and I was just taken back. Like, why am I thinking about pool? Stop. Like literally, that's what I'm in my mind. I'm in my 20s going, stop thinking about pool. Why? And then it dawned on me, wait a minute. These men said that I would see pictures. So I said, Dennis, 
I said, this is going to sound really weird. And I feel like it's weird. I see you shooting pool. Now, as soon as I said that, I see you shooting pool. The picture started playing like I was watching a movie. And it just started running through the frames. And I had my hand and I said, I see you playing pool. You're clearing the table. I see you walking around the table and you're clearing the table. Wait a minute. I said, I see you. You got to the eight ball. It's the last shot. You're about to take the shot, Dennis. Oh, no, wait a minute. You put the stick down, Dennis, and you walked off. And you just told your wife you were scared you were going to lose the game. And you didn't want to shoot because you were afraid you would scratch. That man, he was in his 50s then. I'm in my 20s, started sobbing. And I'm thinking, he must love pool. (laughs) And what he told me, he said, I had a conversation with my wife and I told her I was scared I was going to end life and not do what God wanted me to do. And I was going to come to the end of my life and be a failure. And he said, you confirmed everything in my fears that I was struggling with to encourage me. And from that day in my 20s, I guess I probably should latch on to all of them, but I latched on to number six. I'm like, this is how God uses me. Like, like I just know, like I just know, like I have confidence in it. So, um, but that is just divine declarations and revealings. It'll be sitting in here going, all right, let's go home. Oh, wait a minute. We don't need to go home yet. Somebody's here. You're thinking about suicide. I want to pray for you. Well, when you see me do that as a pastor, just go, okay, he's operating in that gift to encourage our body. Or, all right, hey, it's time for communion. Wait, let's don't do communion yet. Let's just soak. If you ever hear me say, let's soak, a movie's starting to play. And I just want to hold off a minute and see what the Lord wants to do. Well, that's a gift that edifies, and hopefully you see the fruit of it if people line up across the front and God's touching them and laying them. And that's not just for me, that's for anybody, it's a gift. Discerning, I often laugh and say, this is why God gives wives. Because there's something about a woman that can just pick up when a spirit is wrong. That she'll be like, don't you, uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh, stay away from them. I got a red flag, honey. I'm like, red flag? I ain't even got a flag. Where'd you get that from? So I often say that I don't, I literally, I don't mean this jokingly. I don't even know if I possess this because my wife will say, you trust everybody. And I'm like, yeah, I trust everybody. She said, you're everybody's best friend. Well, that's her discerning gift kicking in. And she'll even say this. Don't take it the wrong way. She's not mean. She'll say, you just need to trust me. I know. And now 33 years, if she says, you need to trust me, I know. She's right here trying to spare her husband a lot of stupidity because she knows something I don't know. It's called discerning of spirits. It's whether it's knowing how the enemy's going to try to work. And you may have seen that before. You may call it your mama intuition or whatever. But many times for a Christian, it can be a gift of God trying to spare the body. Number eight, tongues. Tongues are distinct languages of nations. Uh, my belief, I don't have time to teach this tonight. My belief is tongues is not just la 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 ba 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 kitty 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 kitty. I literally believe speaking in tongues are languages of the earth. 
So I believe even if you're going Ruhoshikada, it's some language somewhere on planet Earth. And God is proclaiming it through another language, uh, speaking through you. There was a gentleman uh, years ago that was in our church, in our Pentecostal church, and they called him uh, Sikamosai. Because every time people prayed in tongues, Sikamo would go, Sikamosai, 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 Sikamosai. And you just listen to him and go, what in God's name? Sikamosai? Well, that was years ago. I was a kid. My parents would always tell that story. So I was in my church and I was telling the story. I was going, yeah, there's this dude. And he would just, every time we'd pray in tongues, go, and this lady came up to me after it was over. She said, oh my gosh. She said, that's a language from where I'm from. And I said, you're kidding. She says, no. She said, do you want to know what it means? I said, no, I don't. I don't. I don't want to know what that means. If it's bad, she goes, no, it means it can turn out this way. It can turn out that way, but it doesn't matter. It's all going to be okay. That means every time he said, pray in tongues and seek I goes, seek seek In another world, he was going, it might turn out this way. It might be that way, but it's going to be okay. It might turn out this way. It might turn out that way, but it's going to be okay. It might turn out this way. It might turn out that way, but it's going to be okay. I'm like, that sounds just like God. And we just called him Sikamosai. But God was proclaiming praises from another language through a human that had no clue what he was saying. Number nine, interpretation. It's explaining the obscure language. It's not the ability that you speak French and know French. It's that somebody speaks French and you know exactly what they're saying. Example, we were in our church in Sylvania and this lady begins to speak or this gentleman begins to speak in tongues in the back corner. And, and I knew it was different because he normally wouldn't do it, but he just, oh, me I mean, he's just going for it. And I'm like, man, this is incredible. So I just sat and listened. Well, as soon as he got done over there, a lady over here begins to what we would say, interpret what he said. I ain't got a clue. I ain't got a clue what he said because I don't have the gift of interpretation at this moment. But I'm assuming she must have heard something because she starts going, the Lord wants to say. And I'm like, oh, Lord, here we go. Because I ain't got a clue what the Lord wants to say. <laughs> But I let it go. It's a gift. I'm good. I'm mature enough to let it go. She goes, we all clap. It was great. Hey, it was so good. We clap. We cheered. Come on, give God a praise. We went home to church. At the end of church, my sound guy in the back's name was Bob. Bob came up to me. He said, Pastor Mark. I said, what? He said, that was amazing. I said, I know it was amazing. He said, no, it was amazing. He said, my grand, I'm trying to tell the story right. My grandmother, grandmother used to speak Chippewa. And as soon as he started speaking, he was speaking Chippewa. And I knew what he was saying. And the lady over there said exactly what he said in Chippewa. Does that not blow your mind? And I was like, yes, that blows my mind. <laughs> so God confirmed it must be a real thing. She speak, he's speaking Chippewa, Bob interprets Chippewa, she interprets Chippewa and doesn't even know Chippewa. That's interpretation of tongues. But one problem with this, one main concern is that we usually act childish with the gifts. We get selfish and out of order. We make it about us, our power, our magic. We use it for our own glory and our own gain. 
but I don't ever want you to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I want you to keep it. Give me five more minutes, please, and we'll end this lesson and not have to go. But here's the thing, if we're not careful, we'll have God's mind versus us being out of our mind. And we don't ever want to do that. Let's look now at the final, the gifts that administrate. Depending on where you come from, this is going to be the challenge. And the challenge is going to be, what about deacons and elders? Deacons and elders are gifts that administrate, but they're not chosen by God. They're chosen by the people of the body based on very specific criteria. So you can't just be a deacon because you say you are. You have to be chosen by the church to function in that gift. And there's none of the others that I can find have a specific list of things you have to pre-qualify for. But the next two gifts that administrate, because they're administrative, they help keep order, they're very elaborate list of character traits that these people must possess. And God doesn't choose them. He leaves it up to the local church and those that are in charge of the local church to look at their lives. And the first one is the deacon. If you were a Baptist or a Methodist, certain denominations, deacons are very powerful. They, they hold a lot of power in churches. They can make or break churches at times, but let's don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. They were raised up for logistical and material support. How many of you know anytime you get a group of people, you need some logistics involved? You got to have people that go, hey, man, we're not caring for people. We got to care for people better. Uh, we're, we're leaving widows out. Well, it shows up in Acts chapter 6. Now, in those days when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint. Well, God, God doesn't just want us to go, well, they just need to get over it. That's what the prophet would say. They just need to get over it. They rose a complaint against the Hebrews and the Hellenists because their widows were neglected. So how do they, how do, they do it? The 12, that's the apostles, were summoned the multitude of disciples and said, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God. And then this phrase is where we get the term deacon, that we should serve tables. But it goes on to say this in Acts 6, 3. Therefore, brothers, watch this now. It did not say that God would pick them. It's not a gift from God. It is a selection in the local body because your character matters. And this is what he said. Seek out among you seven men of good reputation. That would disqualify a lot. Full of the Holy Spirit, that would disqualify more. They need to have wisdom, meaning they don't need to live fleshly lives. Whom, who may appoint? We can appoint over the what? Over the business. So here's what we need to know about church. No matter how unspiritual it sounds, at the end of the day, we are a business. We have to take care of people. We have to manage people. We have to watch over the sheep. We have to grow the sheep. We have to feed the sheep. We have to water the sheep. We have to shear the sheep. We have to corral the sheep and we have to lead the sheep. It is a business whether we like it or not. And yes, here it's a business. We have light bills to pay. But the deacons were in charge of making sure the business was run well. The next one is the elder. <clears throat> These have probably been the most taken out of context of anything that I know. The elders were those that were given authoritative insight. They were the ones that all through the New Testament are the ones that make sure order is kept. 
So you could be an elder with the gift of an apostle, an elder with the gift of a pastor, an elder with the gift of a teacher. But if you were just a teacher, but not an elder, you didn't have authoritative insight and oversight. The elders were the ones that were selected by those that were in charge to govern and to make sure that order, I won't use govern, but order to make sure that order is kept so we don't just get all out of whack. I'll show it to you. This is in Acts chapter 15. Certain men came down from Jerusalem and they taught the believers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others should go up to Jerusalem. And here's the three, the two groups that are there to the apostles and the what? Yeah, so already in the very first beginnings, we've got the elders with the apostles and, and they're going to be done to do what? To try to solve questions, to try to answer the questions of the body. Should there be a dispute, the elders were the ones that could solve it. They wrote a letter. This was the answer they gave them. The apostles, the elders and your brothers to the Gentile believers. So they even sent a letter that the elders were the ones that were part of bringing authority to the church to keep the order of the church. This is what Paul will say to Titus. I left you on the island of Crete, we would assume as a pastor. I left you there so you could complete the work, but you need to appoint elders in every town. Why? Because the elders were the ones that could keep the order. They were the ones that were selected. I will say this, I don't have time to go into it tonight, but you're not ever self-appointed as an elder because there's a laundry list of things that people look at to see if you qualify. Do not neglect the spiritual gift, watch this, receive through you, this is to Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid hands on you. So what this assumes is that even the gifts that you have need to make sure that they're received through the elders. Because anybody can stand up and go, I'm a prophet. And we go, well, I guess so. But it's the elders of the church that go, well, we're going to judge that gift to see if it's right or wrong. And we'll make the call of whether we think you're a prophet. You may be self-proclaimed and that's great, but it's the elders of the church that would go, well, we're gonna make sure to judge these gifts that everybody's throwing to make sure that they're in balance with scripture. And now, 1 Peter 5, this is what Peter says of himself. A word to you who are elders in the churches. I too am an elder. So he didn't just call himself an apostle, he labeled himself an elder as well and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appear to you. Here's what the jobs are of the elders. Care for the flock that God entrusted you and then I've got it in blue, watch over it willingly. The elders were the ones that were to watch over it. I love what, Pastor, what Chris Redmond says. He says it's the role of an elder is to be a watchdog a sheepdog on the fence line, watching for the wolves, making sure that we guard the flock, making sure that bad doctrine doesn't come in. Then he says this, I love this, don't lord it over people. Come on, how many of you know, elders are not just supposed to crack whips and you better obey me or else. Don't lord it over the people that have been assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. You wanna know how powerful the elders are in the new, in the, uh, New Testament book of Revelation, it doesn't say I saw the 24 apostles sitting around the throne. He says I saw the 24 elders 
sitting around the throne. And here, just to show you the kingdom mindset, there's 24 thrones and there's 24 elders and they have gold crowns. So that God, even in the other world up there, God has elders that sit on the throne. That's a whole other teaching of what they're going to represent in the eternal realm when we all come back into the millennial kingdom. But God has always intended that the elders would be the ones that would administrate the authority. Here's one of the things. It appears to me that the gifting of deacon, those that support material support and the elders, those who help bring order, were more of an appointment chosen by specific criteria, meaning there's several places in the Bible that say exactly what they should do for serving and for governing the church so that we don't get out of line. Here's a conclusion of all of it. God governs the church via the gifts. And he governs the gifts via the elders, meaning making sure we're all on track. And he governs the elders via the scriptures. That's the governing of God of how he's working to bring about his kingdom, to make sure that we don't get chaotic, but also to make sure that no elder thinks they're any better than the gifted people. And the gifted people don't think they don't have to submit the scripture. It all works hand in hand where we're serving each other. We're becoming accountable to each other to make sure that we're making progress with the kingdom. Let me bless you. I hope that helped you. Father.